0: The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Father, um, we just continue to pray that you would show yourself mighty, uh, that your Spirit would teach us More of you this day, I pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. And we are going to... uh, Man, you can't even see that. There's a little bit of the Bible over there. Can you kind of see that up there? I was excited about that slide. It's not showing up all that well. Uh, But uh, we are going to continue into the book of Ephesians this week. Last week we started, and I had so much fun starting with a trivia question that we're going to do it again. Some of you might remember last week, starting into Ephesians, I said, how many books in the Bible were uh, written to the church at Ephesus? Anybody remember that? Okay, there were four, that's right, the book of Ephesus, the two to Timothy, and then there's one that Jesus wrote in the book of Revelation, and some of you won amazing prizes as a result of getting that right. Remember that? Well, this week, we're doubling the prize. Okay, so whatever the winners got last week, twice as much of the same thing this week. Okay, here's, here's your trivia question. Ephesians is called one of the prison epistles, meaning Paul wrote it while he was under arrest there in Rome. How many... a prison? How many prison epistles are there in Scripture? Now, again, you have the same choices. You can vote for one, Ephesians by itself, two, three, or four. Okay? Are you ready? Okay, don't, don't forget about those prizes. By the way, Mike Kanabi, one of those bottles I was talking about left over from Father's Day is squirt. Don't you like Squirt? Okay. Well, get it. Uh, get, get it out of here. I'm tired of looking at it in the refrigerator back there. Okay. Uh, okay. Are you ready? You're going one, two, three, or four. How many prison epistles there are? Don't feel bad if you get it wrong. You know me. I would never laugh at anybody. Okay. Ready? Number one. How many think it's one? Just Ephesians. Okay. Got no votes there. Okay. Two. Two prison epistles. Got a couple hands. Okay. Good. Three. Three. Four. Okay, actually, the majority—you won this time. The majority has it. That is correct. There are four. You got Ephesians. You got Colossians. You got uh, Philippians. And number four is—no one knows. <laughs> so y'all just guessed and got four right. Is that what you're saying? Uh, you got Ephesians. You got Colossians. You got Philippians. And you got some itty bitty little book. Philemon. Uh, we could say it, Philemon, that's fine. Well, we'll say it however we want. That's right. There are four different epistles. Now, this one we mentioned last week that uh, Ephesians is regarded as kind of the concise masterpiece of theology, okay? Romans spreads out, and God tells, uh, you know, the the story of the gospel so profoundly in Romans. Ephesians kind of condenses it; It's very concise, but it is also incredibly crucial here, and uh, partly because these two things are going to be addressed, and we're going to see this in Ephesians chapter 2, why we need it saved, very simply, and how God did it. We're going to see this really plainly. Now, I wanted to mention what we're going to do a little bit more than usual. We're always going through Scripture. But today, probably more than anything, I'm not going to give you if you want to say my extra points or anything like that or my little outline. We're just really going to encourage you to meditate along with me on Ephesians chapter 2. Now, you don't have to sit with your legs crossed or with your arms out like this to meditate. But if you would just really think about this, ask the Lord to help us to see this. Uh, In fact, I I would suggest this. I've told you uh, many times, and not that I need to tell you if you know me, but I am not the most scholarly individual in North America. (laughs) <laughs> if you want to amen, you can get it. Believe it or not, yeah, uh, believe it or not, I actually got decent grades in school, but I am not like, okay, let's sit down. And I, I've never been much of a reader, to be honest with you. In fact, I love the fact that I can prepare now for sermons by listening to people go through and teach rather than just reading because I'm not a great reader. I took a spree reading class one time in college, and I remember they said, okay, you got to keep your finger moving so that your eyes don't get fixed and they don't go out to the edge and because uh, you, your eyes can cover the whole thing and I remember I got incredibly fast at running my hands up and down the page but I had no clue at all what I was reading because I have this little trouble with my mind wandering and uh, what would happen is, you know, the faster I got with moving my hand on the page, the more I was missing. Because, you know, instead of looking back after two pages and going, what am I reading? I would, uh, I would finish chapters <laughs> and then say, I have no idea what I'm reading. Now, I tell you that because something that works for me may work for you, too. I love to reread the same passage. It really helps me. In other words, rather, if I read Ephesians chapter 2, and I think, oh, that's awesome, rather than saying, well, next day I have to read 3, a lot of times I'll go back and I'll read that same passage several days in a row until the place where I actually think, hey, I got this. I love, there's you know, when we were in college, you know, to study Scripture, they would tell you to read uh, the chat, the book, or whatever, over many times. I can remember the book of Romans. I had to read 14 times one semester, uh, but that that has proven to be so good for me. So as we look at chapter two, I hope it'll light a little fire under you, and you might even say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to read that again later on today, or I'm going to read that tomorrow morning, and I'm going to read it and just ask the Lord just to help me really grasp this because I don't know. This is just so rich. It's so full. It's so awesome. You ready? Are you sufficiently excited? Okay, good. I'm not picking up that vibe, I gotta tell you. But we'll go with it anyway. Okay, so chapter one, uh, uh, chapter two, rather, begins with these words And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Let me stop here for a second. And you were dead, is where he starts off. In the concise presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the first thing he tells us is, You were dead. Now that that phrase there blows a couple of myths out of the water. People like to believe, first of all, that it's not my fault, it's everybody else's fault. But it starts off and it says, you were dead. And some people believe, well, you know, as long as I don't sin as much as anybody else and, or as, as somebody else, and somebody else is worse than I am, I'm okay. You know, it's kind of like that whole thing about, you know, if somebody's chasing me, I don't have to run faster than them, just faster than you, you know, that idea. Uh, you know, as long as I'm better than other people, I'm not going to run into any, any trouble. I'm good enough. But it, it says that we were actually dead. And if we could remember that sin is not an action as much as it is a condition of the human life. You know, and I, I have, I've met one person in my life who claimed they never sinned. Sadly, it was my grandmother. Think, Grandma, we all sin, not me. Uh, my mother's in the back room rolling over and, and just gagging out there. But, uh, but she, she's just like, no, not me. Most people acknowledge, yes, I've sinned. I, I've done that a little bit. But understand, that's not really even the issue is whether or not we can pinpoint a sin of yours. We were all born into sin, if you will. And the Bible says that we were dead Because of our sin. Let's read a little bit more there. In which you once walked following the course of this world. Following the prince and power of the ear. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh. Kind of brings out that middle letter in the word sin. Is I. And uh, living for ourselves there. Carrying out the desires of the body and and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Here you go. Ready? But. God. Okay? Alright, now I, you know I'm incredibly immature still, even in my old age but I am actually going to say this because I want you to remember it. I know I could say that's the most important conjunction in the Bible, but I'm going to tell you this is definitely one of the best and biggest butts in the Bible. Okay? I know that sounds terrible and it's like should he even say that? Uh, but I want it to stick in your mind. Okay, I want you to see this. I'm not going to break into Sir Mix-a-Lot again. Uh, we're not going to go in, into that. But I do want you to uh, understand that those two words turn everything around. They've turned my life around. Okay, look at those first three verses. You were dead. That was your condition. That's where you were. But here you go. But God. God did not leave you there. What did he do instead? He, being rich in mercy... Okay, he's going he's gonna to not give us what we deserve because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Okay, you need to think about that one for a little bit. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Okay, this had nothing to do with what we earned. We didn't work our way a certain way. And then God said, okay, you're coming in the right direction. I'm going to throw you a rope. God said, even while you were dead, even in that situation, he loved us, showed us mercy. Because of this great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here's what he has done. He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places. Hold on. Let's go back to this for a second here. Uh, Let's remember this. We were dead, but he has now made us alive. Well, uh, I used to not go to church, but now I'm kind of a churchy type guy. That's not what this is talking about. Okay. I used to not be very religious, but now I got me some religion. I got plowed in. And that's not what happens when a person comes to Jesus Christ. What happens is that which is dead comes to life. Okay? This is awesome! I'm sorry. I get so excited. Uh, but uh, we are dead and our trespasses, but we have been made to, uh, alive together. How? By Christ! And by His grace we are saved. And we'll come back to that in a minute here. And He has raised us up and seated, we're seated with Him. There's a couple of things in here that are uh, in what they call the perfect tense, meaning they're already complete. He says, already you have been raised to life. Already you have that life. He says, already you are seated with Him. But at the same time, uh, places with Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages, he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them we'll come back and finish reading that in a second one. I want to stop for just a second and kind of summarize where we are. Okay, we said Ephesians chapter 2 is like, hey, it condensed. Here it is right here. Very simply, what the Bible tells us is, as far as our salvation is concerned, the cause is the grace of God. Okay? The cause of our salvation, the thing that made it happen, is His grace. And by very definition, that means it's something that cannot be earned. Grace is unmerited favor. And, uh, you know, we always, we, we struggle with that because even then we get into how that happen. It says we are saved by His grace uh, through our faith. We put faith in the fact, listen to this statement here for a second, we'll come back to this, but, but don't miss this. We put faith, our faith, in the fact that God accepted the work of Jesus Christ as complete payment for our sin. Let me say that one more time. I put my faith in the fact that God accepted the work of Jesus Christ as complete payment for my sin. When I put my faith in that, as a result of His grace, His goodness to me, I put my faith in that. Before I move on to the last two, let me, let me say one other thing. Um, this is an idea that we all struggle with. I still struggle with. I was talking to a man this week, and um, he said, you know, I, I, I just know I don't deserve the blessing of God. I just know it. You know, I says, you know, my life is never going to be what it should be because I just don't deserve God's blessing. I said, hey, does God bless us because he's good or because we're good? See, we struggle with grace. We always think somehow I've got to earn this. Somehow I've got to, you know, if I'm not worthy, it's, it's not going to happen. But don't miss this message. Uh, I was thinking of a song that, that is pretty popular right now still, I think. But it, they say, I don't want to abuse your grace. Lord, I need it every day. It's the only thing that really makes me want to change. And that amazing grace in our life is what I'm proclaiming to you, what the Apostle Paul is writing, and he's saying, don't miss this. Okay? Yes, you were dead in your sin. Because we were. But God said, but God said, according to his mercy, according to his love, according to his grace, said, here we go. I'm going to meet meet this need. And he says, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the last couple verses we looked at have these last two ideas. What happens to a person when they put their faith in Christ? One of the effects is good works. Now, I hope you were reading there. If not, go back and read it. God makes it very plain. You do not receive God's forgiveness because of your good works. You do not outweigh your bad deeds with good deeds. It never happens. He says, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is his doing. But then he says there will be good works. In other words, we are saved by faith and not by works but the faith that saves us does produce works in our lives. In other words, there is going to be some change. There's going to be something different. If I can, you know, even come to church and come forward and say, boy, I prayed and trusted the Lord with my life, and then there's absolutely no change. There's a sign that something seriously is wrong there. Now, your life is not going to become perfect. We'll get into that in a second. But what, but there's got to be somehow a change where I'm not comfortable doing the things I used to do anymore. Where somehow now I have a desire, I have a new heart inside me, I have this new life, and that's going to at least begin to grow and take root in my life. So The cause is grace. The means is faith. The effects is good works. The last thing I said is the promise. In that last verse we read, it had that word workmanship in there. Great word. It comes from the the root, the idea of a poem. It's like uh, the Greek word is like poem or something. (laughs) That's not a poem. That's the English word. I'll be all right. Uh, But it is that idea that God is working on this masterpiece in our life. He's writing a story. Okay? So we get this. God... He's the one who initiated this. We didn't do it. God said, "I want to, because of my love, I want to give you my grace. I want to get. I want to show mercy towards you." And we, in faith, say, "God, I trusted what you did is for me." And then the things begin to change in my life. But I, I, just love that idea that this workmanship continues. If we can get a hold of that idea, first of all, maybe it, it produces some patience with other people. But I think it can produce patience in us. And I got. I was thinking about this this week. Um, I mentioned last week that I had a, a friend that uh, had gotten word that he was going to pass away soon. And he did. He passed away this past Friday. And I just got thinking, I'm sorry, I'm going to be an old man for a minute. Just bear with me. Getting old. <laughs> I, I don't even know what word I want after that. I know what word I want. But I, I don't know what word I could say. Getting old is just, yeah, I just love it. Uh, I mean, I love hearing, you know, more and more about my friends or get sick. I love the idea of going to the, uh, you know, going to the doctors more and finding out more things, having them try to keep me from falling apart and things falling off and everything like, uh, like that. I mean, I, I just love that whole prospect. A friend of mine sent me, uh, I was lamenting about old age, and a guy sent me a song that was entitled, it was a parody of Garth Brooks' I Have Friends in Low Places. It was called I Have Hair in Weird Places. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta be old to appreciate that one. Uh, but, uh, the uh, you know, And I thought, yeah, yeah, I just love the whole idea of getting old. I, I, I just love it. But but here's something I do love. Honestly, this is, this is kind of weird because as this body decays, and I thought, you know, there is no way, you know, I was looking at uh, my son. My son's a little broader shoulder than I am. You know, he has a pretty good physique. I never had it. And, uh, you know, somebody said, well, you can work out. I said, not now. <laughs> yeah, that ship has sailed, man. Uh, it, it just ain't going to happen. Uh, and uh, yeah, I realized, but as this body, and you kind of give up on it spiritually this workmanship is still continuing and i could say hopefully not boastfully i don't mean it to be boastful at all but i could say that like during my 50s i saw a growth spurt spiritually and I'm asking God for one in my 60s, and if I'm still around in my 70s and 80s, I, we get to keep maturing and growing in this. I love that, that this workmanship, this work continues. And again, it helps me to be patient with myself. It helps me to be patient with other people when I understand that this is a work, that upon salvation, I have this new life in Him, and He's going to continue. He's going to keep it going. Okay, now, we've got to finish the chapter. You ready? Boom Uh, i got to go back. I'm sorry. I missed the last couple verses here. Therefore, therefore, okay, all this you know. Here's the gospel. Man has a sin problem. God has remedied that problem. Put your faith in him. Therefore, remember, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by which you're called, uh, I'm sorry, by which you're called the circumcision, I'm killing that, which is made in the flesh by the hands, remember that you were at times separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope, having no hope, and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. Okay, if that strange church talk to you, the blood of Christ is the idea that he has died for our sins. Okay, he has paid the price for our sins is what that, that phrase is encompassing there are uh, brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down you see he's talking to these folks Paul's ministering to the gentiles the gentiles and the Jews didn't get along and he's saying hey okay wait a minute now in Christ he has made us both one he has broken down in his flesh dying on the cross, that dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinance, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so that making peace he might reconcile us both to God and his body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We'll come back to that idea in a little bit. He came and, and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are our fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. talk about the development of God's family, the church of Jesus Christ, in whom we also are built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. Now let me me develop this here for just a second, but first of all, let me just mention one word in there. The word cornerstone, it's actually a word that Peter used more to talk about Jesus Christ. Here Paul uses this. He says he is the cornerstone. Now, I have actually two summers of bricklaying experience. Are you impressed? These bricks back here, laid them all this week. Okay, I glued up pieces of foam paneling, but still, uh, but, but still, I, I did put the glue on the back and put, put them up there. Uh, but, uh, I, and I'm not a bricklaying expert, but I do remember this, that uh, they they'd actually taught me to lay some block and lay some brick. But one thing they would never let me do is lay up the corners, Okay, they said, if we get that set, you can do some of the rows because you got to get the corners right, because everything has to be compared to the corners. And then they draw that or they'd stretch the guideline string across so that every brick that I would put on had to go back and be measured to the corner because what would happen otherwise is I'd have measured it to the next brick and I got a little bit off and then the next brick would have got a little bit more off and then the next brick would have got a little bit more off and then we'd be the laughing stock in our church building that we were were building. Uh, So everything gets measured back to Jesus Christ who is the cornerstone. If we can get, get that principle and remember that, I'm not comparing myself to anybody else. I'm going back to him. He is the cornerstone. And when we get playing the games of comparison, it ain't good. We either become discouraged, or more often than not, self righteousness, and we don't play that game. We compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where that goes. He is the cornerstone. He is that guideline. He is that foundation. Okay, now let's, if we can, though, I'll say it like this. Uh, simplify some things. Here's here's something that uh, I think will somewhat summarize this whole section that we read. Okay, remember, here's the gospel. Here's what you need to know. You need to know that you were dead in your sins, but Christ said that uh, by God's grace, through our faith in him, he has made us alive. Therefore, so what's going to happen? The big thing that's in the second part of chapter two is the idea of unity here. And if we could get a hold of this idea, I think it would revolutionize our worlds. The unity that we find in salvation should be greater than anything that divides us. Okay, somebody, where's John Miscavige? Somebody needs amen. I'm going to say that again. I don't care who. Somebody just say amen just because it'll make me feel better, okay? Because that's good. The unity that we find, you ready? Somebody's got to pick me up here. Uh, The unity that we have in our salvation should be greater than anything that divides us. Thank you. You know, our world... (laughs) You could say, okay, this is wrong with the world, this is wrong with the world, this is wrong with the world, and, and uh, come up with all our little li- lists and stuff like that. But I think we could all agree that one of the main things that we have is just a division about everything. You know, whether you want to talk country, whether you want to talk church of Jesus Christ, whether you want to talk families, uh, the, and the biggest thing is that discord is sown all the time and trying to divide everything. And I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't have opinions on anything, but what I am saying is this trumps them okay this overshadows them all our bond that we have in Jesus Christ and if we can make it simple and I I don't think I'm I, I really do not believe I'm oversimplifying saying this but let's think about this scripture teaches us that there is one race of people okay you might have different amount of pigmentation but there is one race of people we can call ourselves Adam's race Next time you're asked to fill out a little thing on your race, maybe you want to check that box. <laughs> Other. Uh, I'm part of Adam's race. The Bible says that we're, that God has made us one in Him. There, there's not, there's one problem, folks. You know what it is? It really is sin. That is the one problem. And boy, if we could, <laughs> I love that idea of uh God breaking the hostility because I think if we could get a, the idea, realize that this is the problem, maybe we could turn our hostility towards sin and towards evil and not so much towards each other and people disagree with us on certain things. Would that maybe help out a little bit here? But there is one problem. By the way, that can also help us see people as broken uh, rather than, you know, and see what the effects of sin in their life and maybe increase our patience, our love towards them. And there is one solution, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Pastor, I I don't know that I buy that, that there's only one solution. I understand you might think that way, but as I preach the word of God, I must tell you this, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and then he said this, no one comes to the Father but by me. There's one solution, and there's one hope, the resurrection. We talked about that some last week, the power of the resurrection that we have in our lives today. Can we folks as a church, can we become as passionate, okay, I hope as you read this say, okay, pastor's not making this up, okay, this really is the hope, this is the message that is needed. Can we become as passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ as we are about so many other things in our lives? I'm just, hey, okay, let's go back to the, the church at Ephesus here again. Remember, we talked about the idea. I, I don't know if you remember or not. I remember because I was here last week. But uh, uh, in Corinth, you know, this was a wicked church. And when Paul wrote to them, he had to tell them about their sins and this and everything like that. Ephesus was a big, booming town. And they just had a ton of stuff going on. Okay, I mean, they just had, uh, they had wealth, uh, they had all these different temples of religion and everything like that, they had commerce everywhere, it was the center of trade, uh, they had so much going on, and the church needed a message that said, you need to get your focus back here, you need to stop being distracted, okay, could that be where we are? I, I didn't get a chance, I was gone a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, I haven't caught up on those sermons yet, I need to do that, I like to go back and listen, but it takes me a while Where's Chris? Oh, he's down the hallway, I think. But uh, Chris preached here, and he said, did you listen to my sermon yet? I think finally I did. After about three or four weeks, I caught up, uh, and I listened to it. Something Chris said has stuck in my mind ever since then. He was talking, he was preaching from the book of Esther, but he got talking about the idea that he just said there are so many things in our lives that can distract us now. And the reason why that stuck in my mind, because God said, yep, there you are, buddy. I mean, you have that happen on a daily basis. You know, I've given you the task of preaching the Word of God and sharing the Gospel with people, and uh, and you have an incredible opportunity to do that, and here you are playing around with this and doing this and everything, everything like, like that. And I mean God was particularly mad at me, but definitely the Spirit of God said, hey, that's you. You get distracted awfully easily. Can this morning, can God take us and just kind of draw us back and say, hey, you know what? <laughs> I, I know life is complex. I'm not I understand that. I know some of you face some amazing things right now. But as far as the solution goes, can we go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and realize some things are just really pretty simple. We are all one race, no matter who's trying to divide us. We all have the same problem. It is sin. Let's get mad at sin. Let's get mad at its effects in our lives. There is one solution for everybody whether they believe it or not, there is one solution for everybody. It is Jesus Christ. And there is one hope that we have, one promise that we take going forward, and that is the resurrection and the power of that in our lives. We're going to do something we, we usually do around here about once a month, and that is we stop and we observe the Lord's Supper. I, I know we always have a couple guests, so I wanted to just explain when we observe the Lord's Supper, uh, what we're doing is largely we are remembering that our faith And our belief is that God accepts the death of Jesus. We remember the death of Jesus because that was a payment for our sin. Okay? And uh, I always want you, if there is any reason whatsoever that you'd rather not take communion, partly because you're not sure you believe even what we're talking about, that'd that'd be a great reason. Just sit and watch. That's fine. If there's any reason whatsoever, please don't feel uncomfortable at all. Uh, we're going to play a little song in a minute. We're going to have a little picture of a lamb today. We just have this, this phrase that I want you to think about here. But I'm going to invite folks to get up. I saw Jim Miscavish must be down the hallway or something this week. He's not here. He's always the one that leads. He jumps up and starts going. And he's not here, so somebody else is going to have to jump up and get the ball rolling. But when you come up here, there is a tray of just crackers that we'll use to represent the body of Christ. And then there is also a tray of uh, cups of juice that we use to represent his blood. We also have some cups that, if you want to say, are self-contained. If you'd rather grab one of those, those are to the inside. There's also a table back there right in front of the sound booth uh, that you can go to. So we can line up at both those things. But we're going to take time. Jesus said, th- this, this doesn't save anybody, okay? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, take some time when you gather together and just remember. (laughs) Remember the significance of the gospel. Remember what it has done in your life. Remember that God accepts the death of Jesus as full payment for your sin. And we stop and rejoice in that. So however you would like to use this time, whether it's taking communion or praying quietly at your seat or just watching, that is fine. But what's going to happen as the music starts, folks are going to come and get, gather the elements. And then when everyone's back in their seats, we're going to take those together, as the Lord did with his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. So, Father, again, Lord, I, every week I jump in and think about the things I want to accomplish And (laughs) that's such a waste. Uh, This time is about what you want to accomplish in our lives. And I pray that you would continue to accomplish what you brought us here this day to do as we take some time to observe, uh, sit at your table uh, together. Just continue to use this time in our lives, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email info at edwardsburg.church or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.